certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh, God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. In 1990, a young social worker was attacked by Bradley Edwards, the man now standing trial for the Claremont serial killings. She took the stand today and told her terrifying story for the first time. I'm Natalie Bongiolo. Welcome to Claremont in Conversation. I'm joined, as always, by Tim Clark from District Court. And hi, Tim. And Ali Fan. Hi. Hi. Hi, guys. Listen, I actually don't know about you two, but my head is spinning today. I mean, last night we heard from this man who was part of this bizarre love triangle. Then today, eight witnesses, including this woman who, by all accounts, thought, you know, she was fighting for her life. Yes, this is the first time we've heard from her. And a terrifying account. She Here she is sort of working in Hollywood Hospital and someone she doesn't know just drags her back, stuffs something in her mouth. She said she was thought she was going to die. She uh, couldn't breathe. She was worrying about something maybe being laced or contaminated in her mouth, so she stopped breathing. And then just as she was kicking back and this violent struggle was, he stopped it, just suddenly stopped. And then he he apologises. Yeah, it was, um, was, given given the attack happened nearly 30 years ago, um, it was like she was recounting it from yesterday. I mean, yeah. and she, mm. I mean, I'm watching her in the dock. I mean, she was physically reenacting it. Um, at one point, she even put her hand over her own mouth to um, oh, to uh, dem- demonstrate. I mean, exactly the physicality and the and the violence we've got to say of the attack. Um, and um, and as he, as Ali said, this is probably the first time she's ever told this story in public, even back in 1990, because Mr. Edwards pleaded guilty. There wasn't a trial. Um, there would have probably been a, a witness statement given to the magistrate at the time. But um, but there she was, um, 30 years later, um, reliving it in um, in Technicolor, and uh, and was um, you know and, and just admitted on the stand. I'm still so distressed by this because. Um, because I'm having to relive it now. And Tim, why do you think she was brought on? I mean, this is a case that's passed. Is yeah. it to demonstrate violence or was it to do with a clinical psychologist that said that he thought that um, Edwards was struggling at the time with his wife's affair where up until now we've heard it was a bit of ho-hum, yeah, I'm mm. moving on, you're moving on, who cares sort of thing. Yeah, but six or one half a dozen mm. of the other there, I think. Mm. Um Firstly, obviously, it's propensity because right, you know, mm. right up front and right all the way through, the prosecutors are going to say, "Well, look, this is Mr. Edwards' modus operandi. He attacks lone women from behind with yeah. violence, using a cloth. Uh, he gags them, tries to um, subdue them, and then drag them off, um, as he did in this case." As he did in uh, '88 in Huntingdale, he's already admitted that, where he attacked the, the young girl from behind in her own bedroom, and then obviously Caracatta as well. So there's that propensity; they want to show him as a as, a, as an attacker of of lone women, vulnerable women, um, whether it be day or night. And they also want to use the psychologist's report as 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 basically their springboard for their emotional turmoil um, motive um, theory, um, because as we hear from both doctors who then interviewed Mr. Edwards. After this attack today, he told them both, I was upset because of the argument with my girlfriend, who you know, now became his first wife. Um, I, was, uh, I was emotionally all over the place, and that's why I did it. So there's two strands to that. Yeah. Um, and plus, 
I would suggest that they probably want to give this woman a voice as well and, and give her a chance to actually tell her story. And she was sat in the same court today as the man who did that to her all those years ago. And uh, as we know from sort of, you know, victim empathy and, and uh, uh, in these in these days, um, that that's part of the court's um, role is to let, is, yeah. is to let victims um, tell their own story and, and reclaim their voice. And what was his reactions to this today? If she was, you know, um, demonstrating and and she was quite emotive, what was um, Edwards doing? Yeah, he was listening quite intently, taking a few notes, as he has been doing this week. Um, he, he he was watching her at times, but yeah. not all the time. Um, and as I say, the, was the, she looking at him? No, she was she was more really intent on just giving the best evidence she possibly right. could. I got that impression. But as I say, the physicality that she gave it with, she was twisting on her chair, um, mm-hmm. turning, and basically physically trying to physically demonstrate to the court and obviously mostly to the judge exactly what she'd gone through. Um, you know, on that day where she was just quietly writing a report at, in, a, in, a, in a sleepy part of uh, Hollywood Hospital. Well, that, and of course, it was significant because of the uh, fingerprint match as turned out yep. to the charges that he's already pleaded guilty to. Mm. They matched um, his fingerprints, which were taken at the time, to that attempted sexual attack way back that were left on a door, which were just sort of filed away yep. until they looked at the sex attacks. They linked him with that. Yes. But they were the charges that he's pleaded guilty That's to. Right. And I'm sort of a little bit puzzled as to why it was coming up here. Hmm. I'm interested that um, the attack stopped and, and he apologised. What did he say exactly when he apologised? Did she well, say? Sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. Exactly yeah. that. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, just she literally said one minute I felt like I was fighting for my life and the next next minute it had stopped and he was backing away apologising. Um, and yeah. I mean, he admitted that apology or um, sort of explained that apology to the doctors as well. I'm just saying, I don't know what came over me. I realised what I was doing and um, and um, I'm backed away. And he had admitted to the two psychologists that he had um, spoken to, he had admitted to having a bad temper and what have you, had he? Yes, so that was that, that was part of, I mean, because when you, you're in a sentencing process then as, as to now, the magistrate needs to know all the, all the aspects and obviously in this case, they were... The, the, the the, um, the court felt there was a psychological aspect to it, and they wanted to get um, some expert opinion, which is what they've done. Um, mm. And in the, and, and talking to those experts, Mr. Edwards says, "Yes, I was I was upset. I'd had a I'd had a crap day at work. I couldn't get the system to work. I'd had a row with my wife and the girlfriend the night before. She'd also told me she'd been in, um, unfaithful to me with a previous boyfriend. Um, she, you know, there was pressure on me to get married, and and, and his explanation." Time was this all sort of built up and then exploded on yeah. that on that afternoon. I, I mean, I know this probably isn't relevant to the case, but what astounds me is that a man who's convicted of an assault on the job during work time didn't lose his job. Mm. I, I just find it was that just regarded as a common assault too. So he right. was only just given probation. It wasn't. It's a wonder they even took his fingerprints. I mean, it you're was at work. Yeah. You're in your uniform. You're representing a company. And you assault someone in broad daylight and you don't lose your job? Yeah, and I've yeah. got to say that when, when all this came out, you know, sort of earlier in the year, um, as journalists, you sort of, um, 
you're beholden to ask these questions. And so we did of Telstra, and we, I mean, we got this sort of regulation response that you'd expect. It's before the court, so we don't really want to comment. Um, and uh, as as it stands today, day seven of the trial, no one, no one from Telstra, high up in Telstra, has been asked about that um, during the trial, and whether they will or not. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's probably not relevant to the judge no. whether he lost his job or not. But yeah. um, it's certainly a question they they should should be made to answer. Um, you know. Well, some, on the face value, future, two on the face value at the time, if they said he had an emotional upset, he just split up for his wife, he did this one off, he backed off, it might have just been seen as that, taken at, at the time. Because, mm. of course, in hindsight, when we know what he's pleaded guilty to since yeah. then, mm. um, it all comes into place. But um, back then, it would have just been treated face value, common yeah. assault, snapped out, silly move, you know, and has apologised. Yes. So, yeah. Well, speaking of Telstra, obviously we also had these Telstra living witnesses. Can you just talk us through who they were? Yes, yeah, so there were three today, Nat. Um, uh, these are women that had reported, now we know, we now know at the time, um, of strange, unnerving, um, maybe slightly peculiar encounters with a driver of a car. Um, in the Claremont and Cottesloe area over that p- period from sort of 95 to 97. Um, during her opening, Miss Barbara Gallo said that the, that they, the police basically launched what they termed then a living witness project because they surmised after Kira went missing, well, surely this, these three can't be the only time he's tried to pick up women. So mm-hmm. they went looking. And according to the prosecution, they found at least five incidences um, of this uh, in, involving a uh, lone driver, dark-haired man, driving a white station wagon with Telstra logos. And today we heard about three of those incidences. Yeah. Um, by coincidence, they were all very late 96, just before Christmas or maybe just after. Three women who told of how they um, had gone to for drinks and were, uh, were on the street basically after midnight, looking for a lift home, failing to get a taxi, and lo and behold, out of the out of the darkness comes this um, white station wagon dr- driven by a, a lone man who offered them a lift home, and they all gave their varying accounts of how the car had approached them and what they did when they get in or, did, or they didn't get in in some cases. Um, and the third of those is probably the most interesting. The, the young lady, as she was then, had got into the car by mm-hmm. herself, um, had realised it wasn't a taxi, had said to the driver, oh, you're not a taxi, and yet he began to drive off. And it was just then she told the court that she basically said, oh, I've left my shoes behind in the park. Do you mm-hmm. mind if I stop and go and get them? And the driver of that car did let her out. She went to get her shoes, and while she was there, she woke up two friends that she'd been with, two male friends that she'd been with that had gone to sleep in that park, got into the car, um, and um, got to a destination safely in Shenton Park, wow. um, and you, it just it just makes you wonder. We talk about we talked about yeah. those sliding doors moments last week. You know those those tiny little things that that can then change the course of of, of one's life. And perhaps um, that that was one of those moments for that lady. And Tim, the earlier one too, she was with friends. We'd, she didn't follow through, but she said a friend dragged her out of the car mm. and he stopped at the park. We, she, she wasn't allowed to go on with that. But, um, yeah, it was another one of those questions she had a, within our She had a sixth sense too, or maybe yeah. something a bit more closer. So what happened out. with that one? She was she was in the car, but her friend um, yanked her out or something? Yeah, when, when he slowed down at the park, she said she got 
dragged, her friend dragged her out, but they stopped her there because they didn't want her to elaborate on what her friend, why her friend had dragged her out, what she'd seen or And that's or quite her. proper, Nat, because yeah. basically she was, a, this, this witness today, the second witness, um, she was about to say what her friend had said. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, that's hearsay evidence. Um, and I've no doubt that at some point in the near or far future, we will hear from that friend right. um, Tim, who will be able to give her account um, directly. We're being teased with a lot of these one-liners that don't go anywhere, aren't we? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, um, uh, you remember the old cliffhangers at the end of Doctor Who or something? <laughs> I fear just, for my you, life you, and you, I you nothing more. Get, <laughs> you, you know, you just, you just tease out a, a mm. nice little moment and then they cut it off. So hopefully those... those um, presents will be wrapped up at some stage. Yeah. Um, can you tell us what were those words that the friend had said to her when the prosecution cut her off? Um, well, we don't, we don't actually know. Don't know. So, so yeah, she right. was in the, the friend was in the front. The, uh, the witness today was in the back. She'd admitted she'd had quite a few uh, drinks um, and was not really paying attention to what was being said in the front of the car. And then suddenly um, the car stopped and this, this lady has yanked her out. And, and you know, the friend today said, I, I didn't really know what was to, what was going on. Um, and then she told me dot, dot, dot. So, she, right, um, so that was it. We'll, 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 maybe we'll find out the dot, dot, dot in due course. You know, the, um, the thing that most compelling thing that I think has come out today is the fact that police were investigating yes. Telstra vehicles and Telstra workers July 1996. Yeah. That was just after Jane Rimmer had disappeared, before her body was found. It was just after Sarah Spears. But nobody had heard about Telstra until Bradley Edwards was arrested in December 2016. Yes. If there had been some warning out, even a hint, because remember we had all those taxi well, drivers come forward. all about the taxi drivers. All about, if we'd held Telstra van, this was before Kira Glennon was taken. So what did we find out today? Why were police uh, looking at the Telstra drivers or, or Telstra cars back in 96? This is because they had um, heard from these women who'd made reports about yeah. Telstra no, cars? No, well, actually, Nat, that was... So to get the timeline right, Kira d- d- um, goes missing in March 97, and that's yeah. when they launched the Telstra Living Witness Project. Um, ah. But this, this, was, this, was, this predated that. So what we learned today, as, as Ali so rightly said, I, I, I think in, in terms of um, learning more about the investigation and what, what police were looking at, it, this was the biggest revelation today. So in um, July, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, so in July 1996, there was a fax sent by police to Telstra mm-hmm. asking for um, the, 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 na- yeah. the names of drivers mm. of cars, at a particular type of car, in February 1995. Now, we know that relates to the rape at Karakata Cemetery. So that tells us two things. One, one there'd been a tip that a Telstra van might have been involved in that um, offence. And two, at that time, in July 96, um, they, the investigators were already linking those two crimes, obviously. Right. And then in 1998, there was another request sent by police to Telstra, and this one was much more wide-ranging. They wanted the driver of every car in Telstra. So they they were obviously so um, concerned or convinced or, um, you know, they were on the the track of Telstra. But we never heard about it. To such an extent that they wanted the name of every driver of every Telstra car. But we also learned today that if that car that it was being driven at that time had fallen off the books of Telstra, it wouldn't appear on that list. 
So it, it would. Mm. You, you can see that the, the police were, I suppose, tantalisingly close to something way back in the day. But then, for whatever reason, just couldn't get over the line or couldn't get the information they were after. And as, as Ali also said, that has never been, or certainly mm. never became public. Then, the, the, we always knew that the focus was on taxis, um, but never on Telstra. And who knows what investigative yeah. um, avenues might have been opened up, even if that had uh, leaked out by the back door. Let alone yes, the because door. you know, one of the girls today, she said she thought it was a taxi because the frame. She when it, as it came closer, yes. in fact, she saw it was a ladder. Because you know how the taxis have got those advertising frames on their roof. Yes, and she saw yeah. the white van coming, and because they probably had a bit to drink, and it was walking along dark, and she was, was late in the late in the night or early in the morning. She hailed him, thinking it was, and it's only when it got close she realised it was a ladder. Mm. And it was a Telstra. So um, you think maybe that should have come out anyway. Yeah. I mean, we've now. heard all these psychologists who had said that, you know, um, this is probably someone who has form. This is an everyday man mm. with form. So mm. it seems extraordinary that we have them looking at Telstra back then, mm-hmm. yet at the same time there's someone from Telstra with form. Mm-hmm. How are those dots not joined? Yeah, well... I mean, he had formed, so at this point in time, um, the Huntingdale offence was obviously unsolved. You had the Hollywood offence, which was solved, but had not been flagged particularly as a sexual assault, Uh as Ali said. It was a common assault. Yes. and so that, and so no DNA was ever, you know, it, it was probably too early for DNA anyway in 1990. There was a fingerprint on the system, and the 1995. Caracatta rape was unsolved, but mm. as we as we've learned today, or had it confirmed today, uh, detectives even way back in the day were were, were do, joining the dots between that lone girl taken off the streets of Claremont at night, walking home alone and attacked, and then very similar um, incidences, obviously with with Sarah in January '96 and um, Jane later that year. And with these witnesses that um, you heard from today, you also heard, and we haven't spoken about him yet, but you also um, have to tell us about the the man who they're calling the third wheel and the man who broke up the Edwards marriage. Uh, What was he like yesterday? Oh, he was hugely illuminating. Um, I I said in the paper today, I think he gave the most sort of uh, vivid and sort of, um, sort of, description of of life at home with mr and mrs edwards back in the day and um how he 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 basically became this this this, the third point of the love triangle Mm -hmm. and um and for want of a better phrase led to the breakup of the marriage um and he was um very open in his answers very um wanting basically to give more information that the court than the court needed mm. um and once again we were left a little bit wanting more but um but he, he gave plenty and he was as i say he was a, he was a very illuminating very um, forthright yeah uh, very, very yeah. forthright yeah mm. and it did sound like a you know we obviously heard little bits but it did sound like this very very bizarre love triangle well, Bradley Edwards had actually moved in with this first wife um, while who was actually living with another Telstra mate of his. So it was sort of like yeah. she shared her bed quite quite freely. But um, so, it, yes, it got a bit squalid. And I think this guy was just saying he was quite, he was saying, as you know, he was playing, she was playing a dangerous game and he wanted out. Yeah. Um, and were there reactions um, 
in the courtroom to some of the things that he was saying? Um, well, yeah, there were some um, some sniggers and some chuckles at, at one point. Um, and Mr. Edwards, uh, well, I could personally see, was sort of tensing up a bit at mm. another point where basically this man admitted that while Mr. Edwards was was, was having a lie-in on a Sunday in his bed, um, his wife would hop out and jump in the, the, the bed two doors down the corridor and and they would carry on their relationships. So, um, as I said, it was it got very, very personal Small, again. Yeah. Um, and Tim, you probably know, more the... personal than than was totally necessarily. Yeah. And Tim, they're quite different versions. I mean, the first wife was ho hum. Yeah, everybody was happy and moved on, and no, nothing really that big a deal. Mm. Whereas he he gave quite a different picture of the whole thing and how he was tense and he wanted to get out and he didn't didn't like the situation and kept saying to her, well, he, he's next door while, you know, they were having sex. He was quite uncomfortable with it, where she was very sort of, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, well, mm. it's just, yeah, she, he yeah. was a lot more mm. forthcoming um, and a lot more um, exact about uh, details and dates um, and, until it got to, after they'd moved out, I say dates, he couldn't actually remember the, the, the date mm. of his daughter's birthday. So there were, there, there were, there were bits that he was very precise on and yeah. then it's, uh, as again, we said last week, the tyranny of time had sort of uh, eroded his memory a little bit. Um, and we heard with the wife's account, we heard that, like Ali said, that it was all quite smooth and oh, ho-hum and this has happened. But he gave a different um, picture, didn't he, in terms of Edward's reaction. I mean, he sort of said that Edward's reaction was more volatile than what she had painted it to be. Oh, very much so. And um, I mean, the, 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 the phrase that sort of grabbed our headline and probably a lot of the online headlines yesterday was was a conversation that the, the pair had had after um, um, the wife had moved out and uh, Mr. Edwards basically rang him up and said, you're having an affair with my missus. And, mm-hmm. and the gentleman said, well, mate, I mean, it was, it was as plain as the nose on your face, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Edwards didn't take kindly to that and, and threatened to kill him. Um, now, as it was pointed out by Mr. Jovic, um, he knew where the couple were living. Um, he didn't follow through no. on that threat. Um, so it was it was um, it was something of nothing, but he certainly did say it, and it and it, and it wasn't um, and it wasn't said by Mr. Yovis that he hadn't said that. So so yes, um, this the, the, you know we'll well twice it, now it, we've heard that phrase. I feared for my life that we didn't follow well, through. Right. Yeah. Why why did well, you fear for your it, life? Yes, so and we heard it from the from the second the, wife the, the, hmm. and the Hollywood Hospital victim this afternoon. She, oh, yes. she clearly said, well, she, "I thought yeah. I was going to die," and yeah. uh, I think she was probably um, quite um, quite fear in having that um, having yeah. that fear because as, as you would when you grab from behind in in the middle of a workday afternoon. Um, you two must have just you know, your heads must have been spinning today as well because you obviously don't get notice of who's coming in, who's going to be a witness and how many there's going to be. And I guess that's the same again for tomorrow. So each day it's just bombshell after bombshell. It's unpredictable, the whole Mm. trial. I mean, even just the timing, uh, we have to cut out at a certain time to get to air. Yeah. But they're just taking witness after witness. And even last night we all expected to sit quite late and Tim had sort of cut off quite early. Yes, um, he did get through his evidence uh, maybe quicker than um, than uh, anticipated. Um, but as you say, Nat, we're not being given um, sort of advance notice. We're mm. trying to read the play a little bit in yeah. terms of where the evidence might be going. And then once we, we, we realised it was sort of Telstra Living Witness stuff today, 
we sort of anticipated maybe there's another couple um, and we think there might be another couple tomorrow, yeah. possibly. Um, but yeah, um, like all the listeners on the podcast, we're just waking up every morning and thinking, you know, what's the day going to bring? So um, Another chapter. Yeah, indeed, of a very, very long book. Yes, well, it has been another extraordinary day. And, of course, we've obviously got sometimes more questions than we're getting, getting answers at this stage. But um, And we have had quite a lot of you have contacted us with questions. We'll try to get to those in tomorrow's podcast. We just had so much to pack in today. But thanks, Ali and Tim. We'll be back tomorrow for Day 8. We'll chat then. Thank thanks. you. This podcast was hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy, and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au.